Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Please, please. The best number we have is 10,000. That's how many men were either killed or injured 79 years ago today. Over 4,000 of them were killed storming the beaches of Normandy to protect freedom. This is a freedom night, isn't it? And those men and women and others who have given their lives for freedom get one day of remembrance in our country. Yet people that want to engage in an unnatural and immoral sexual behavior get a month. How did this happen? What happened to our country? Do you know what happened to our country? We happened. The church. The church has not been the church for the past hundred years. We haven't been engaged on these issues. We've been hiding because we don't want to deal with the controversy that comes with trying to love people in the culture. And love sometimes means you have to say no to things. Now, that's why I love Troy and Penny, because they will stand for truth regardless of the cost. So thank you, Troy. And Penny right now is not here because Penny's on TV right now trying to stand for truth, trying to stand for Christ. Now, when we say 10,000 casualties 79 years ago to stand for truth, they knew that they couldn't acquiesce in the sight of evil. They had to fight evil. There was no other choice. How are we going to love people that are being overrun by Nazis? We have to fight back. And they had to take up arms to do so. We at least have to take up our minds and interact with people on these issues. We haven't been doing it, so I'd like to talk a little bit about how we can do it. We're going to address one of the key questions, should you follow your heart? Because our culture says, follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. Is that good advice? Now, before I get into this, I need to say this. Well, I need to ask you guys, how many people in here are parents? How many parents do we have in here? Okay, how many people in here are former children? Okay, good, good. That's all of us then. I have a question. I have a question. A lot of people think today love means approval. If you're going to love me, you've got to approve of what I do. You've got to approve of what I say. Question, parents, if you approve of everything your kid wants to do when he or she is 13, are you loving? No, you need to stand in the way of evil because love means you're supposed to seek what's best for the other person. And that sometimes means you have to say, no, don't do what you're about to do because you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt others. Love doesn't mean approval. By the way, in the passage, everyone reads at their wedding, but nobody obeys. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this, love always protects. Love rejoices in the truth. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love always perseveres. If you want to love people, you need to stand in the way of evil. So I want to try and do that tonight. And we're trying to do it in three points. But before we do, Thomas Sowell said something great. When you want to help people, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. Don't tell people what they want to hear. Tell people the truth. Go ahead. I'll leave it up there. You can't get better than Thomas Sowell right? 
I'm going to give you a way to get all these slides a little bit later, but let's just go through the three points we want to go through. The first point we want to talk about in the identity crisis is should you follow your heart? Then secondly, how do you find ultimate hope and identity? And then if I time this just right, we'll have no time for questions and objections. (laughs) No, we'll have plenty of time for questions and objections. So let's get into it. Point one, should you follow your heart? Now, it wasn't always this way in culture that you were told to follow your heart. In fact, in previous cultures, you had a different way of finding hope and identity. And there are three ways to find it. You can look out to other people. You could look into yourself. That's following your heart. You could look up to God. For our purposes here, I'm going to leave out looking down to Satan. Okay? None of us want to go there. All right? So how do you find hope and identity? Well, uh, ancient culture, you followed your family. You looked out to other people. If, if your father was a blacksmith, you were a blacksmith. If your father was a potter, you were a potter. If you were a woman, you just took care of the home. That's the way it was. You followed your community. You followed your family. That's not the way it works today. The way it works today, modern culture says follow your heart. See what the authentic you is. See what's in there. And then you follow that until you achieve it. You cross every stream. You swim every ocean. You climb every mountain. Is that some Disney song or is that like the sound of music? It's, it's one of those two, right? Don't let anyone tell you you can't follow your heart. You've got to follow your heart. That's the authentic you. And of course, the third way is the religious culture. You look up and you follow the rules. Now, it might surprise you to know that Christianity is not any of these. There's elements of it, but the essence of Christianity is not following the rules. We'll get to that later. Well, I want to concentrate on this, though. Should you follow your heart? And here's the way it works right now in modern culture. If you have an idea or a thought on your heart, a desire, that idea or thought is supposed to be you, the authentic you. And so what you need to do is follow this at all costs. Whatever thought you have, whatever identity you have on your heart, that's you. And this, by the way, has infected the church. Because church right now, not this church, but many churches in our culture right now are more about meology than theology. It's whatever I want. God has to adjust to me because I have this desire on my heart. By the way, this is why people in the LGBTQ community find it offensive if you say there's something wrong with their behavior because, you see, they say their behavior is them. Their thoughts are them. So if you're saying, well, same-sex behavior is medically, is medically dangerous, they say, oh, you're a hater. You're a bigot. You're a homophobe when all you're doing is giving evidence. By the way, what's one strategy you can use when somebody calls you a name? Say, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by bigotry? As soon as they try and define it, they're going to be in trouble. In fact, I one time, I I once had a a same-sex marriage advocate call me a bigot. And I said, what do you mean by bigotry? He said, fear and intolerance. I said, that's not the definition of bigotry. Those are two more words that need to be defined. Bigotry is having a set opinion about something regardless of the evidence, and not being open to changing your mind. So I said, sir, if anyone's a bigot, you are, because I've written an entire book on this topic which you haven't read. Okay? You don't even know why I hold this position. All right? So what we have to show to people is their ideas are not them. 
Now, there is a sense in the Christian world this is true. We'll get to it later. But I want to point out that your identity is not whatever you think about. If your identity was what you thought about, most men would be women and most women would be chocolate. Right? Of course. All right, so should you follow your heart? Here are three reasons why you should not follow your heart without moral restraint. I'm not saying there's never a time you, you, I'm not saying there are times when you can't follow your heart, but if you don't follow, if you try and follow your heart without moral restraint, you're going to be in trouble. Why? Three reasons. Number one, our hearts are deceitful and selfish. Number two, our hearts are conflicting. You ever notice you got two hearts on one issue? What do you do? And number three, your hearts are changing. Let's start with the first one. Our hearts are deceitful and selfish. And there are scriptures on this, but we don't need scriptures to know this. Let me just give you a thought experiment. Suppose that tonight, before you wanted to come over to this event, you went into the bathroom to get ready, and you looked in the mirror, and you noticed as you were getting ready, there was a sign attached to your head, and it transmitted every single thought you had in big LED letters. You couldn't turn the sign off. You couldn't cover it. Everywhere you went, everybody could see exactly what you were thinking. Would you be sitting here tonight if that had happened to you? No. None of, I wouldn't leave the bathroom. Would you? <laughs> Why? Because our thoughts are wicked. Our thoughts are evil. Our thoughts are judgmental. By the way, no extra charge for this, but this is, this is why you can't remember names when you meet somebody for the first time. Because you're not concentrating on the name. You're going, hey, how you doing? That's the ugliest shirt I've ever seen. Right? What? Where did you get that haircut? Walmart? I mean, you know, you're, you're judging people. You're sizing people up. Do I even want to know you after this introduction? Can you do anything for me? Oh, no, you can't. I'm out of here. Right? You're thinking of all these things. You're not thinking pleasant thoughts. You're judgmental. Your hearts are selfish and deceitful. And, of course, this is exactly what Jeremiah said. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And as Pastor Troy just said, what's the biggest problem with being deceived? You don't know you're being deceived. If you knew you were being deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. Yet your heart, deceived, your heart tells you you have to have something when in reality you don't. Your heart tells you this is going to be good when in reality it's not. Our hearts are deceitful. In fact, the Babylon Bee discovered recently that this was the case. Hey, hey, this is your trusted source in fake news. In fact, here's what they found. Study finds 100% of men would eat any fruit given to them by a naked woman. Guys, you thought you'd be better than Adam. No, you wouldn't. You'd have done the same thing. So what's our, what's our, what, what's our antidote to this? Our antidote is not to follow our hearts. This is ancient wisdom, ladies and gentlemen. I think this verse here is the second most important verse in the Bible to this culture. The most important verse has to do with the gospel, but this is the second most important verse. And it comes from the Old Testament. 
It's a, it's a proverb from Solomon. And here's what he says. Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Above all else, above all else, guard your heart. doesn't say follow your heart. It says guard your heart because if you get your deceitful, selfish heart, if you get it locked in on something that isn't good for you, you're going to go down the wrong road and there's going to be trouble. You need to guard your heart. All right, that's the first reason. The second reason you can't follow your heart without moral restraint is your hearts are conflicting. For example, you might want to be in shape, right? You might want to not weigh too much, but that donut looks awfully good, right? You ever notice we have conflicting hearts? On one hand, we want to be in shape. On the other hand, we like donuts, right? On the one hand, we want to have financial security. On the other hand, I like that shiny new thing that I just saw. I want to buy that. On the one hand, I want to, I want to play the field. On the other hand, I want to settle down and have a family. You can't follow both hearts. you got to pick one. For those of you that are married in here, I don't know about you, but when I got married, it put, put a big damper on my dating life. <laughs> right? You can't follow your heart without moral restraint. you got to make a choice. Which heart are you going to follow? I want kids. They're wonderful. But man, they're hard and expensive. I don't want it. Which one are you going to choose? Which heart are you going to follow? Regardless of which way you go on this, you're going to have to restrain yourself. Because there's going to be times when you're married and you don't want to be married. By the way, this is why you, you take a vow. You can't vow you're going to feel a certain way for the next 50 years. You might as well say, I, I, I'm going to vow to never be hungry, or I'm going to vow to never be mad. You can't vow that. What can you vow on the marriage altar? Just that you are going to seek what's best for your mate, for better or worse. We think, though, if the feeling has gone... You know that giddy feeling you have when you first meet somebody? Where your, your heart's beating like a hummingbird and you can't think of anybody else, you can't do anything else? You think, that's love. No, that's not love. That's actually ego, that somebody else likes me. That's not love at all. Love is when you wake up in the morning and you go, you again. <laughs> she. I'd much rather be with somebody else today, but... I pledged myself to seek what's best for you, for better or worse. That's why you need a vow. You don't need a vow when you're all lovey-dovey, right? You need a vow when you don't like the other person. There's got to be moral restraint. C.S. Lewis put it best, as he, as he did most in most things. He said, surrender to all our desires obviously leads to impotence, disease, jealousies, lies, concealment, and everything that is the reverse of health, good humor, and frankness. For any happiness, even in this world, quite a lot of restraint is going to be necessary. If you want ultimate contentment, you've got to restrain yourself in so many ways. In fact, if you follow your heart without moral restraint, you're going to become broke addicted, alone, and probably prematurely dead. In fact, this is what Pastor John Mark Comer said about this. 
He said, giving in to the desires of our flesh does not lead to freedom in life, as many people assume, but instead to slavery. And in the worst case scenario, addiction, which is a kind of prolonged suicide by pleasure. Let me ask you a question. If you're addicted to uh, drugs, are you free or are you a slave? If you're addicted to pornography, are you free or are you a slave? If you're addicted to money and everything is about making money, are you free or are you a slave? You're a slave. You can't follow your heart without moral restraint. And the three great tempters that can get us all are sex, money, and power. Sex, money, and power, are the th- they're great things. They're so great, we'll take shortcuts to get them. The problem is, when we take shortcuts, we can run ourselves into deep trouble. So there has to be restraint. So let's say this together. You ready? Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. All right, the final problem with following your heart is that your heart is conflicting. Now, about a decade or so ago, gender dysphoria, which is a real condition, affected one out of every 10,000 men. In other words, there were one of every 10,000 men thought they were really women. But in recent years, the number of women claiming to be men has skyrocketed. Some say 4,000 to 6,000%. In fact, Abigail Schreier, who wrote the seminal book called uh, Irreversible Damage, it's all about the transgender craze seducing our daughters, said she's gone to some girls' schools where 30% of the girls claim to be trans. How did we go from 1 in 10,000 to 3,000 in 10,000? Girls, you know where this has come from? This is a social media contagion. This is transmitted through social media. In fact, a friend of mine is almost 70 years old. She is a wonderful woman, and she works at Starbucks, not for the money, but for the ministry. And there are a few people in her Starbucks that are trying to transition. And she says they sit in the back on TikTok looking at video after video after video affirming what they're doing. They know in their hearts this is no solution. You cannot change your sex, ladies and gentlemen. It is impossible. It's imprinted on every one of your hundred trillion cells. You can mutilate your body. You can't change your sex. In fact, those that do get the surgery have a suicide rate 19 times higher than the general public. This is after the surgery. This is not a solution. And now we have the government wanting our kids to get this surgery. This is why you have to go to the clinic down there and say, what are you people thinking? Now, 80% of young people who have so-called gender dysphoria, whether it's true or whether it's because of social media, 80% of them grow out of it by the time they're 18. So why would anyone recommend cross-sex hormones or surgery for a condition that's going to fix itself anyway? Most likely. And even if it doesn't fix itself, we already know that cross-sex hormones and surgery don't solve the problem. 
They make matters worse. This is not love. This is ideology, ladies and gentlemen. It makes little sense to try and do this, but people do it. And you know that the world is really going crazy when classical liberals are making more sense than most pastors, like Bill Maher. Bill Maher, a number of years ago, was on his program called Correct, Not Politically Correct. And last May, 2022, he had this show called Along for the Pride, where he said, look how... Uh, more people claim to be LGBTQ based on when they were born. He said, if this trend continues, we'll all be gay by 2060. <laughs> and he rightly pointed out that people change. Kids especially change. In fact, puberty is one big, long transition from being a child to being an adult. You ought to expect things to change. Kids go through phases. He said, look, if everybody knew what they wanted it to be when they were eight years old, the world would be filled with cowboys and princesses. But it's not. He said, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pirate. Thank God nobody took me seriously and took me for peg leg and eye removal surgery. Arrgh! That's me Think about this. I'm not trying to minimize this, ladies and gentlemen. But if your daughter said she was a mermaid, would you take her off the coast and drop her in the ocean? If your daughter had anorexia and she was dangerously thin, but she thought she was overweight, would you give her liposuction? No, you would say, honey, your mind's playing tricks on you. We need to fix your mind. You don't fix a mental issue with surgery. You fix it with psychiatry. You fix it with prayer, with counseling, maybe medicine. But you don't fix it with surgery. This is medical malpractice that's going on, ladies and gentlemen. So what do you say to people? When your kid, or what do you, when your kid comes home and says, Mom, Dad, I'm trans. Let me give you a few questions you ought to ask. First of all, don't freak out. If you freak out, What's your kid going to do next time he or she has an issue? They're not going to come to you. Mom, dad freaked out when I brought that up. You've got to say, hey, thanks for telling me. Let me ask you a few questions. Number one, what do you mean by trans? What does that even mean? Do you know that transgenderism presupposes fixed genders? Even though they try and say there are no fixed genders? Why? Because if I'm a man and I think I'm a woman, I have to have some idea what a man is and some idea what a woman is to know I have a problem, Right? Also, if I'm going to make the so-called transition, which is impossible, but they try and make it, I have to have some idea what a man is and some idea what a, some idea what a woman is to make the transition. Transgenderism would make no sense at all if there were no genders. Also, nature shows there's only two genders. Because human beings can only do one of two things, either produce a sperm or an egg. There's no third category. And anybody that can't produce either of those, that's not a third category. That's an incapacity. It's not a new capacity. There's only two genders. And yet people are trying to tell us lies. So we need to point out that things change. In fact, you might want to ask that young person. Um, you, you have this feeling on your heart. Do, uh, do feelings always tell you the truth? No. 
Do your feelings ever change? Of course they had. A month ago you were in trans. Now you are. They changed. Do you think they may change again? Exactly. In fact, if you think about this, ladies and gentlemen, when you look back at your younger self, in fact, let's go back when you were 15, right? You probably look back at your 10-year-old self and you said, I was an idiot when I was 10, right? <laughs> and then when you hit 20, you look back at your 15-year-old self and you go, you know, I was an idiot when I was 15, right? Then when you hit 30, you look back at your 20-year-old self and you, know, you go, you know, I was kind of an idiot then. I didn't have it all together. You know what this means? No matter how old you are right now, you're an idiot. Because you're going to look back at some point and go, I didn't have it all together. Now, thankfully, this slows down when you get older, okay? I'm 61 now. I know I don't look a day over 60. In fact, when I turned 50, my wife was very encouraging. She said, honey, you're going to live to be 100. I said, how do you know? She said, because you look half dead already. <laughs> anyway, when you, you know, you're 60, you don't look back at your 50-year-old self and go, oh, gee, I was an idiot. Hopefully, you weren't. Hopefully, you had it together by then. But when you're young... Things change by the day. And yet here we are trying to tell people, yeah, you got to get surgery because you have this mental state. Thomas Sowell put it best. Here's what he said. He said, ours may become the first civilization destroyed not by the power of our enemies, but by the ignorance of our teachers and the dangerous nonsense they are teaching our children. In an age of artificial intelligence, they are creating artificial stupidity. It's true. And if you don't stand up against it, sorry, but you're a coward. Haven't I been doing it so far? <laughs> we need to stand. You know, do you know who Richard Dawkins is? Richard Dawkins is probably the most famous athe atheist in the world. And Richard Dawkins has more courage than most American pastors, president company excluded. Richard Dawkins has said, I'm sorry, there's only two genders. It's science. He's right. Richard Dawkins is the one that said, Islamophobia? What are you talking about? Islam is not an ethnicity. There are Muslims in every ethnicity. Islam is an ideology. You ought to be afraid of it, especially when it comes to jihad. Why would you be for that? He's right. Richard Dawkins has spoken against censorship. Where are the American pastors, ladies and gentlemen? Where is the America that 10,000 men 79 years ago gave their lives for? Where is it? It's because the church has been silent. Let's say it again. Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. All right, last thing. Let's talk about how to find ultimate hope and identity. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone you love will die. Everything you build will crumble. Everything you say will be forgotten. Everything you do will come to nothing. You and your identity will die and vanish. Unless God exists. If God doesn't exist, 
Everything that we think is important now is ultimately going to mean nothing. Doesn't matter what your identity is, doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter how you live ultimately because we're all just going to die and become worm food. It's going to be over. One day this, that sun's going to burn out. We're going to go to heat death. It's going to be over. But if God exists, and that's what we try and show in the book, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, there is a purpose to your life. Actually, what is the purpose to life? According to Jesus, what is it? This is the interactive, interactive portion of the program. Like, what is the purpose? Why are we here? Glorify God. Where does it say that? Glorify God. That's the Westminster Confession. Where does it, does it, I'm not saying it's wrong, but we're, we're in the Bible. What, what are we here for? You guys are sounding a lot like Charlie Brown's teacher right now. Well, I think Jesus tells us in John chapter 17, he's praying to the Father for us. And here's what he says. Now this is eternal life, that they, meaning us, may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The purpose of life is to know God and to make him known, if you throw the Great Commission in there. Now, when we say no, we don't just mean intellectually. Even the demons know that God exists. But they tremble. You remember James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote that little book in the New Testament called? Man, you guys are sharp tonight. James says even the demons believe that God exists, but they tremble. God is not just interested in our intellectual assent. Oh, yeah, I know you exist. God wants a love relationship. He wants you to enter into a relationship with him and accept what he's done and then live for him. Now, how do you do that? Remember, we were talking about this earlier, that people think that what they think about is them. Most of the time, that's false. But when it comes to Christianity, it's actually true. Why? Because when you accept Christ, you become a new creation, and you're not only forgiven, you're given His righteousness. You get a new identity. Do you know that Christianity is the only world religion and really the only philosophy where you don't achieve your identity, you receive your identity. You don't achieve it, you receive it. So stop trying to achieve your identity. Your identity has been given to you. It's received on the work he's done. It's a free gift. But our culture says, oh, no, 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 don't, don't try and receive your identity. Achieve it. Or your identity comes from your political party. Or your identity comes from your ethnic group. Or your identity comes from your sexual orientation. Or your gender identity. Or your job. Or your bank account. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, none of those things are ultimate? Suppose you put your identity in your sexual preference. What happens when you can't sexually perform anymore? Or what happens when you're no longer sexually preferred? You no longer have an identity? What happens when you put your identity in your job and you lose your job? You no longer have an identity? What happens if you put your identity in another person and that person either dies or leaves you? You no longer have an identity? You know, you can lose everything in this world. You can lose your spouse. You can lose your health. You can lose your job, 
You can lose your fortune. The only thing you can't lose is Jesus. Our identity is in Him. And it takes all the pressure off you. Look, if you've got to achieve your identity, all the pressure's on you, and there's always somebody that can do it better, it does not lead to contentment. It only leads to anxiety. And if there ever is an anxious generation right now, it's this generation. Why? They actually think they can choose their own identity or their own gender. Their own gender. They think they can choose that. Do you know what ambiguity leads to? It leads to anxiety. There's a lot of ambiguity. We have too many choices, too many perceived choices. We don't know what to do. We're anxious. Do you know what God tells us to do? Here's what he says. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become a child of God. How do you become a child of God? You simply repent of your sins. You accept what Christ has done. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And you have an identity from all eternity where God looks at you and he says, you're forgiven and all I see is the work Christ has done. What could be better than that? Nothing. All right, before we go to uh, questions and objections, I want to point out I did bring some books. And the book, uh, in fact... The, the book that I talked about the most is this one. It's brand new. It just came out a couple of weeks ago. It's actually an expanded third edition called Correct Not Politically Correct about same-sex marriage and transgenderism. I just added a section on transgenderism because it's really come on the scene in uh, the past uh, few years. And uh, by the way, all the proceeds from the sale of the uh, books will go to feed needy children. Mine. Okay? <laughs> just so you know. All right? So this book in the middle here is, there's not Bible verses in it. This is a book, I'm not making the biblical case. This is a book you can give to somebody who doesn't even believe the Bible, but is interested in following reason and evidence. All right? Now, of course, the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, shows you why Christianity is true from people who don't even believe in truth all the way to the Bible is the Word of God. And a new book I just wrote with my son called Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God also talks about what we talked about tonight. It's just maybe a more fun way of doing it. Because if you look at, I know there's a lot of garbage that comes out of Hollywood, but if you look at the top, the top movie franchises over the past 50 years, whether it's Star Wars, whether it's uh, Harry Potter, whether it's uh, Lord of the Rings, Batman, Wonder Woman, Iron Man, uh, uh, Captain America, any of these, they all steal from the greatest story ever told. And so if you know anyone who loves movies and you want to get them the evidence that Christianity is true and show them who the true hero is, the ultimate hero, that's Jesus, then pick that up right there. All right, now... Text the word evidence to this phone number, 855-909-0582. If you text the word evidence to that phone number, I'm going to send you this PowerPoint presentation, actually a longer version of it, plus about five other PowerPoint presentations in a PDF format, including I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and some other ones, all right?